Good morning, folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host, as we broadcast from the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Yeah, that's Des Moines. You got it. And, uh, yeah, and the studios of Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. A quick shout-out to some of our local business partners. Uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store. And a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've also got an excellent catering service. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Vet. And thanks to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street, Fair Trade Coffee, and my favorite, Fair Trade Tea, and also a vegetarian menu, all vegetarian, the only all vegetarian menu in Des Moines, I think. That's Ritual Cafe. And thanks also to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th Street, authentic Mexican food at very affordable prices and really friendly, pleasant, delightful service. That's Cinco de Mayo Restaurant. And finally, thanks to Namaste Restaurant. Uh, at 7500 University Ave in Clive, a wide range of Indian cuisine from both the southern and northern parts of the country. That's Namaste Restaurant. All right, so hey, welcome to the program, folks. A quick look ahead here. Uh, shortly, we're going to be talking with Francis Dickey about uh, how sustainable farming can help fight climate change. We'll also be talking to Robbie Knuth about the Prairie Awakening powwow coming up. Uh, from John Foster, we're going to get a Canadian perspective on export oil pipelines and Christine Curry and Sarah Spain are going to join us to talk about the Iowa Water Iowa Water Festival. And, of course, as we do every week, we'll give you an Iowa caucus update. And that will focus on President Trump being welcomed to Des Moines by diapered protesters. We'll talk about all that on this program. But first, I want to give you a little bit of an update on the Dakota Access Pipeline. So, um, yeah, this is a shock. Well, not, not a real shock, but, you know, it's one of those things you're expecting it, and boom, there's the impact, and you know you've been hit. So the Dakota Access Pipeline just announced last Wednesday that they want to expand the amount of oil flowing through the pipeline, possibly as much as doubling it. Right now it's about 570,000 barrels per day. This is a big deal. They're arguing that they don't need any approval. We're not so sure. So people are encouraged to write to the Iowa Utilities Board, ask them to hold a public hearing, ask them to look into the proposal, not just assessing what the land use damages might be, but also what the climate impacts might be. You can learn more about that on the Bold Iowa website. That's uh, boldiowa.com. Check out the uh, blog posts and also the press release uh, relevant to the Dakota Access Pipeline announcing its expansion. All right. So enough of that. <clears throat> we're always on, it seems like we're always on the defensive when it comes to protecting Mother Earth. But um, fortunately, there are some good tools in our tool chest to do something about it. And one of those is regenerative agriculture, sustainable agriculture. It's got a bunch of different names. And with me on the phone from, uh, from near Fairfield, Iowa, in Jefferson County, is Francis Dickey. Hello, Francis. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ed. Yeah. So Francis is a dairy farmer who's uh, been operating a, an organic dairy for, what, plus of 20 years, Francis? Um, yeah, over 30. Over 30 years. Wow. And uh, so you've had a lot of practice, and you're also a soil scientist. That's right, yeah. You're also an author, and you've studied, you've studied extensively both in the field and, and, uh, and academically what, uh, what we can do through sustainable farming to help sequester carbon, which uh, – which is going to be increasingly important because even if we were to end all fossil fuel emissions today, we have a world of hurt coming at us. 
So tell us a little bit more about, you know, your thoughts on how agriculture can play a role in helping to address the climate crisis. Well, first, Ed, I'm glad that you used the word regenerative, because that word actually has meaning that's pertinent here. Um, you know, if you think of it this way, sustainable means sustaining what we have, and we have a degraded resource, resource in agriculture. We don't want to sustain that. We want to regenerate it. And that's why that term's important, because if we look at how our soils were generated in the first place, um, how nature's ecology created them, sequestered all this carbon in the soil. And it's interesting to look at it in terms of uh, north, north central Iowa has some of the most productive soils in the world. Right. But 12,000 years ago, when the last glacier receded, there wasn't any soil at all. It was a geologic wasteland, and the material scraped off of Canada and Minnesota. Really? No, I didn't know that. See, it was 12,000 years ago. The last all... glacier left. Right, the glacier took all the good stuff with it. Well, no, no. The glacier piled all the stuff on top of what was here before. Oh, I got you, I got you. Okay, right. Yeah, and so so there wasn't any soil at all. Hmm. And only as plants and animals colonized that loose geologic material, created over time this deep, productive soils. And so in the 12,000 years, well, we can even do it faster than that. But, but think of it that way. These are, these are very high organic matter soils. Now, we know from research at Iowa State that we've lost about 60% of our organic carbon in the soil since we started farming in Iowa. When you say lost organic carbon... We lost the, the carbon, yes. Okay, so, and I've, 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 I'm aware, too, that the actual amount of topsoil in Iowa has declined significantly. Are those... Are those uh, on average, they're, they're related, but not the same. Okay. Um, the amount of topsoil, on average, has been lost about half of it. Okay. But the carbon, that black organic matter that Mother Nature created after the glacier left gotcha. that made our soils black. Right. That, that, um, that's been, we lost about 60% of that. Is that just, be, that just because of, uh, just to, because of agriculture, just from growing crops yeah. and not replenishing the soil? From the cropping system. Right. Because remember that the prairies were perennial crops that were building soil all the time. Right. The interaction with the bison. So the prairie grasses were tall and deep-rooted. When the bison would come through and graze it off, Okay. It was all short. It didn't need all that root mass. So it sloughs some of the root mass into the ground, grow new tops, new roots. And so that cycling of grazing was, was building organic matter. Right. So how do, we, how do we apply that knowledge to the current crisis of climate? And how do we yeah. use regenerative techniques to address it? Yeah, the way we do it, first we have to understand how we've gone where we've gone. We replace those perennial crops and roots in the soil all the time of the prairie with annual crops that only grow for about five months of the year, and then the soil is barren for the rest of the year. And so we, we really starve the whole soil system, all the biology right. of that organic system. And so that's why we're de- we've been deficit spending our ecological capital all these years. So now what we have to use is nature for a model. And, and the best way to look at it, I think, is animal systems. Like, for example, our farm, we have a grazing system. Right. And we have the farm split up into about 60 small pastures we call paddocks. Right. So the cows move around. After each milking, twice a day, we give them fresh grass. And then they go out of the grass, and the grass regrows tall and grows a new root system. So we're starting to rebuild our soils back. So you can, actually, you can actually measure that the soil health has improved with, with that rotational grazing system. You can measure that, and I haven't done so much measurement, but others have, more scientifically, okay. found that you can actually start to rebuild carbon in the soil. So that, that by, by rebuilding the soil, by pulling carbon into the soil, it's pulling it from the atmosphere where we currently have exactly. 415 parts per million. Yeah, it's, it's taking it out of the atmosphere. And the soil is a tremendous reservoir because worldwide there's more carbon today in the soil than there is in the whole atmosphere. 
Right. And not only just the atmosphere, but the atmosphere and the biosphere, all the plants and uh, plants combined too. So even so even it was a tremendous. So you, even though it's declined by 60%, there's still more carbon there than in the atmosphere, you're saying? Yes, I'm talking yeah. worldwide. It's right, declined well, all okay. over worldwide, yep. exactly, even though we've degraded. So we have a tremendous capacity to put carbon back in the soil. So, so it's not going to be easy. It's, it's going to take some major changes in our yeah. farming practices. Is there a future for corn and bean production in this um, carbon sequestration model of regenerative agriculture? Um, there, sure, there can be. Um, but it has to be in combination with other crops. Such and, as? Um, if it, well, for example, with cover crops, ideally with some rotation with um, things like perennial crops. But even if, it's, if there are no perennial crops, it, as long as we would have, um, if we do a good job of cover cropping, adding crops between the corn and soybeans. Remember I said corn and soybeans only have live right. roots in the summer, unlike for right. five months a year. Right. Well, for most of the year, there's no soil life there, nothing living in the soil. So we have to have something living all the time, um, uh, sequestering carbon into the soil year-round. And, and um, it's not just simple little cover crops that you hit with glyphosate in the spring when it's a foot tall. We need something that really builds it. There's a new way of doing it, for example, with cropping, is to grow a cover crop like rye, single rye, and letting it grow to nearly maturity, like five to six, seven feet tall, with huge biomass, like 8,000 pounds per acre of biomass. And then and till then it in? Or it let, then you till it in or you just let it die? Better still, to, 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 there's something called a roller crimper, a new tool mm. that we've been using in our farm. And, and uh, you roll it down, and it crimps it, and it, it flattens it out and makes it huh. into a mulch. So it's a thick mulch on the soil, and so you don't have to use any glyphosate or anything. You don't have to till it. Till as your course also helps to sure. oxidize the soil and reduce the carbon. So this is a way to actually um, put all that carbon into the soil in, in, in a, a much better way. It build a lot of carbon and put it in the soil. So... This can be done, and we've been doing it on our farm by rolling down this rye cover crop and planting soybeans into it and then letting it grow through. Um, but you, there are other crops that can be used with corn. But this is still in the early stages of development, and we need a lot of research in this uh, right. to make it become successful. Is that, is that research use. happening? I know that uh, a lot of research I've noted at some of the land-grant universities is focused on how to help big conventional operations, and that's not going to do it when it comes to the information we need to accomplish the sequestration you're talking about, right? Um, there is some research, even at Iowa State. There, we have an organic specialist, Kathleen Dellett, who has done some research on this. But we need to really change our, our focus. Um, well, USDA has a $2 billion per year research budget. We need to put a significant amount of that into cropping systems that will build soil. And yeah. so we've we yeah. got a long ways to go to turn that that thing around. And that's why I hope we get ourselves a progressive president this next time around that puts in place a progressive Secretary of Agriculture that can, can turn all these things around on um, our, our granting program and our conservation program and so on. Now, did we see that under the Obama administration? We did not. We saw um, our former governor become the Secretary of Agriculture. He did some good things for local food. But frankly, um, it was pretty much business as usual. Mm, right, and and we we would expect that to continue under the Trump administration. But uh, perhaps a, a different president might have a different perspective. Well, I would hope. Yeah. You know, and of course, I, I, you probably don't want to talk politics, but you know, I don't mind talking politics. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Bernie Sanders is somebody who could do that, and he has a very progressive agricultural platform now, mm -hmm. and so. Um, I, it's going to take some major kind of a, a, a new leader to right. make this happen because Obama didn't do it. We lost ground in the organic standards with Obama. 
um, we just didn't gain anything on this whole idea of um, a good cropping system. Well, this is probably a rhetorical question whose answer is no, but is the uh, is the Farm Bureau on board with this uh, this approach to agriculture? Um, they're not. I don't see them out advocating for it. If you ask them, they'd probably be okay with it. So they, they they agree with the science. They, they they think the science makes sense. Well, I haven't argued talked to them about it, but um, they look out for big business, no question about it. Right. And so, um, if, if it's not going to sell, you know, this kind of system being regenerative, it doesn't sell a lot of inputs. If you're yeah. regenerating the soil, it's amazing what how the soil builds up and becomes so fertile and productive. And you don't need the herbicides. You don't need the um, the fertilizers. Least to the same extent. And so this is not something that I see happening that the um, mainstream agriculture is going to support strongly. One last question before we got to run to a break, Francis. Uh, there's a growing uh, concern that meat production of any type or dairy production of any type is a big part of the climate problem with people – you know, recommending we move completely to a plant-based diet, but but your prescription for soil health and for carbon sequestration calls for a balance between plant and animal life. Would you speak to that for a second? Yeah, first of all, I think we have to look at what happens if we go completely to a plant diet. Corn and soybeans are a big plant. You know, what a lot of things are made out of corn and soybeans. The Impossible Burger, I think, is. And so we're looking at a cropping system, industrial crop production, that is are really bad for the soil. So if we have a, a grazing system that builds soil, that integrates animals with the, with the, uh, the landscape, it, 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 we can build soils very well with that kind of system. And many soils in the, in the U.S. and across the, the world are not are fragile. They're not good for this industrial kind of cropping. So there are a lot of places where animal livestock production are good. Now, it's true that our dominant livestock production is industrial, and it's not good either. So we've done what, what um, Wendell Berry said. We took an elegant solution in the past of animals integrated on the landscape, and we pulled them apart into two problems, problems with industrial crop production and problems with industrial livestock production. Right, right. Yeah. Good observations, Francis. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate your work and your wisdom, and you're taking the time to share with us. Thanks, Ed. Folks, we've been talking with Francis Tickey. He's a dairy farmer down in Jefferson County, and we've been discussing how regenerative agriculture can help uh, sequester carbon as we move forward in the uh, wide range of challenges facing us in the new climate era. Okay, when, after a short break here, we're going to come back, and Robbie Knuth is going to join us. We're going to talk about the Prairie Awakening Powwow in just a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food. Great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns. Someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. 
That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines Metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515-246-8149. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Okay, we're going to kick it off here. On the Fallon Forum, thanks for joining us today, folks. Later in the program, we'll be talking with John Foster about a Canadian perspective on oil export pipelines. Yes, oil export pipelines. We'll also talk with Christine Curry and Sarah Spain about the Iowa Water Festival coming up next week. And, of course, as always, we'll give you an update on the Iowa caucuses, specifically about the first and maybe only visit by a Republican presidential candidate to Iowa. With me in the studio now is Robbie Knuth, um, a Lakota man, he and I go back a long ways. And uh, Robbie has done good work for a long time. And he's been on the show before, in fact. So, and uh, we're here today to talk with him about the Prairie Awakening powwow. Hi, um, well, I wanted to bring some news today about the powwow. It will be in our, I think it's 21st year or 22nd year this year. Uh, 21 years ago, it started because of a white buffalo born in the state of Wisconsin. I had gone down to talk about the white buffalo to a classroom of kids, an ecological class run by Chris Atkins. Oh, yeah. I know Chris. Sure. <laughs> and so so we went down there, and I was living with an elder at the time who's since passed, that Elmer running from Santee, Nebraska, and he said, you should go talk about that because it's going to bring on a lot of changes after that calf gets out. And so 
I went down there, talked about that, and then afterwards I went out to a place called Dallas County Conservation, Keene Conservation. That's just uh, west of Des Moines. Yep. Yep. And so at the time, a gentleman by the name of Larry Gullett was sitting there, and he said, let's go down the river and talk. So, okay, I needed to unwind anyway. So I went down to the river with him, and we were kicking around this idea about a powwow. And so I said, you know, if I was to have a powwow, you know, if willing, I said I, it would be an educational powwow. And it's uh, been 21 years now. But how that all connected through uh, one gal in the Native community was by the name of Maria Pearson. Sure. She was a leader in the uh, state, in, the, in terms of the state government's role in in uh, protecting Native American architectural yeah. sites, I believe. Yep, yeah. burial sites, and that yeah. law went national. Right. She was also inundated with the Nobel Peace Peace Prize, if I remember right. Huh, I didn't know that. And I also discussed it with Governor Rand, Governor Branstad at the time. So maybe share with uh, the audience uh, the significance of a white buffalo calf. A white buffalo calf was a legend, or traditional legend, of a, a, a buffalo, a maiden who came to the prairies one day, and two hunters were sent out to go hunting. And the story goes that one hunter saw this beautiful woman in white buckskin coming towards them, and he had really bad thoughts of her. The other guy knew that she was probably sacred and bowed down on the ground for her, and the guy who had evil thoughts disappeared in a cloud of smoke and was eaten up by snakes. <laughs> and then after that, she told her. Way to the, go. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of power. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, the lady had said, I'm bringing you something. Go back to your, your tribe and tell them I'm prepare a place for me. And she came in and she described the seven sacred ceremonies of the Lakota. And then she gave them a buffalo calf pipe, which we still have today, to this day. It's a, I think it's owned or not owned, but the Orville-looking horse oh, is sure. the keeper of that Yeah, he was pipe. very involved with the Standing yeah. Rock movement, yeah. But when okay. the buffalo calf in Wisconsin was born, at that time, Norbert, in his Lawampi ceremonies, he was talking about a great change coming to the earth, mm-hmm. how everything from the north was going to get warm, and how everything in the South was going to get cold. It's certainly happening. And so everything that he talked about in the early 90s is now here. Mm. And so in the process of that, the powwow came about because of Maria. Okay. And so I talked to Maria. She was kind of reluctant at first, I guess. She didn't really want to work, you know, with the DNR. <laughs> and so, but she, she finally agreed. And there was a team of, that worked with Maria. And I was so grateful to have met her throughout my mm. life. So when is the Apollo? It's the uh, first weekend of September, okay. I believe. So the late Labor Day yeah. weekend? Okay. And where um, is it? It's going to be in Dallas County? Yep, Dallas Just west County. west of Des Moines? Yep, west of okay. Des Moines. And we do a lot of good work so out one there. One day, one day Apollo? Yep, one day. Okay. It used to be like two days. It used to start on like on a Friday, Saturday, and then we leave home on Sunday. But now it's down to just one. And for people who might want to come, what what anything in particular they need to know? Um, just bring your your heart with you and an open mind, and and watch Native people teach what they they know best. And they're talking about the environment. They're talking about spirit. They're talking about let's get together and fix this thing now. They're talking about this year. It's based on youth. 
So mm, this good. year we're going to look for a youth drum. We're looking for youth dancers. So if there's any traditional Native kids out there that want to come dance, you come down because we need you. Mm. Last year it was about the elders. And we've seen some amazing young Native leaders uh, step forward mm-hmm. in the uh, movement against the pipelines, yeah. including a group from up uh, North Dakota that ran from uh, Standing Rock, I believe, all yep. the way to Washington, D.C., yeah. through Iowa. Yep. We had uh, that group stop in Adel, Iowa at a park. Mm -hmm. And I was somewhere else at the time I'd heard about it, so I ended up going to pray about it. Yeah. But that, that, people like that are doing really good work. People like yourself have done it for years. Now, I met you back uh, during the Great March for Climate Action, which is also when I met uh, just a few weeks earlier. In fact, I met uh, Frank Lemire, mm. who had just uh, passed away. Oh, and uh, Frank, I, I, I want to recognize uh, his many contributions yes. to our community, to our planet, uh, to um, bringing – Native voices into the conversation that mm-hmm. have far too long been dominated by by settler descendants who really haven't understood the importance of that perspective. So yep. uh, Frank was a great man. He, he um, was. Again, I first met him when we crossed the the uh, Keystone Pipeline route. They hadn't <laughs> yeah. built it, and they still haven't built it. But they built uh, the opponents of it had built an, a barn uh, powered by energy, mm-hmm. by, by solar energy and wind. Yeah, and we met him there, and he talked. Wow. I remember I thinking, wow, this guy's talking a long time. <laughs> and then when I stopped worrying about time and started listening to what he was saying, I said, this, yeah. this is a wise man. Yeah. And then he came last year when we had the First Nation Farmer mm-hmm. Climate Unity March, when we walked almost 100 miles along the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline mm-hmm. from Des Moines to Fort Dodge. Yeah. Uh, his Samanape was with us the whole way, mm-hmm. helping to protect us and guide us along the route. And then uh, Frank came. Frank came down <laughs> for a day. And he... um. He really hit it off with uh, one of the landowners on the route, a landowner, landowner who had fought the pipeline so hard and uh, I think had scared the pipeline company. They just moved off his land. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, they went into somebody else's land. But, mm-hmm. but he and Frank really hit it off. And yeah, Frank was, was very, uh, very instrumental in a lot of issues. Yeah. He was also in, in instrumental in the white clay issue. And he was also, I give him... I'll the, give the him, alcohol. Uh, yeah, and they, the alcohol. They were selling alcohol right. just across from the... The border of the... Of Pine Ridge, which yeah. is a dry reservation. Dry reservation. Yeah. Has been ever since. Yeah, he was, he was key in that. Yeah. yeah. I went to a lecture one time about white clay. And out of that was Born Native Youth Standing Strong, another organization I helped create yeah. with Chris Denny up in Sioux City. And those youth people learn how to get sober... They learn how their traditions work. They're going to sweats. They're going to ceremonies. And they're learning how a new balance of life is. Hmm. So I credit, I'll give credit to Frank Lemire on that because that lecture came out of that the next day. Mm-hmm. And and thanks, Will Meyer, for all your hard work. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you throw a pebble in the pond and you never quite know where all the <laughs> ripples go. but. Mm-hmm. But Frank has thrown a lot of pebbles yeah. in a lot of ponds, and we've seen a lot of ripples, yeah. and those just keep going forward. And you're doing the same thing. It's a, I'm trying. You're doing great work. Yeah, <laughs> no, I really, you know, and I, I imagine that if you go to the uh, Iowa Water Festival this coming weekend, yep. you'll find a lot of like-minded people who might be interested in coming to the uh, Prairie Awakening powwow as well. I will so, do that. Yeah. I will. I will support that. And most of my uh, experience in the powwow is kind of going to. Take a little setback after this powwow because I ended up with diabetes, another oh, disease of Native Americans that we shouldn't be shouldn't have to deal with, but we do. 
And uh, so I told Chris Atkins and some of the people and Irma White that I'll probably be stepping out for a little while just to get my health. But that's not all true, too, because I'd like to work with people like you and the Iowa Water and uh, just go about doing some things I haven't done in a while. So I got more time to to work with people that are like-minded. Well, we hope you uh, have a speedy recovery and and continue to do your good work. Yeah. In the meantime, I really hope people check out the uh, Prairie Awakening powwow. Is there any information online or anywhere that people can go to you can go to dallas county conservation and punch in prairie awakening and it'll give you all the information you need and like i said if you're a traditional native dancer come on out we need you it's all about youth this year the other thing i'm looking for personally is a youth to hand this off to eventually because we're all getting pretty old after 21 years. <laughs> and so I'm looking for the next generation to come in and help us out. And if you're interested in that, then you need to contact Chris Atkins at Dallas County and and Irma White. Thank you for your all your work for 21 years, and especially Maria Pearson. Well, thanks again so much for joining us, Robbie. And we, we will be hearing from folks with the Iowa Water Festival later in the program. And we're going to take a short break. When we come back, John Foster is going to join us. He's an international oil economist. He's going to talk about the Canadian perspective on the exportation of oil through pipelines across Canada and across the USA. We'll be back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Again, later in the program, we're going to be talking about the Iowa Water Festival. Uh, before we welcome John Foster to the program, I want, I want to take a second to recognize some of our local business partners. Thanks to Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. For all your tax and accounting purposes, give Yingsai Community CPA a shout. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, H-O-Q Hawk Restaurant, in the East Village of Des Moines, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. They've also got a booth at the Farmer's Market on Court Avenue between Water Street and 2nd Ave. Thanks also to Sergeant's Garage, located at 6th and College in Des Moines. Uh, they have been doing a bang-up job on my banged-up cars for a long, long time. That's Sergeant's Garage. And finally, thanks to uh, Diversity Insurance, located at 1541 East Grand. Get all your insurance needs covered under one roof. That's Diversity Insurance. No appointment needed. All right, welcome back to the program, folks, and uh, delighted to welcome John Foster to the program. Uh, John is uh, joining us from Canada. Hello, John. How are you? Well, indeed, and thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, well, great to have you here. John has uh, held positions at the World Bank, uh, Inter-American Development Bank, the BP Group, and Petro-Canada. He has uh, a depth of experience and a perspective on oil export pipelines that is pretty darn important. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, and tell us what just to, just to kind of kick it off here, get right to the point. What 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 is your perspective on the growing number of pipelines coming from Canada, from Texas, from North Dakota? A lot of it bringing oil down to the Gulf for export. What's your perspective on that? Where am I coming from? Well, uh, well I, I, I'm well aware that you have a big issue with the Dakota Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, from Canada, the the pipelines going south, the, 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 
carrying bit, basically bitumen to to the southern U.S. refineries. Right. Uh, uh, the, the there the, the issue is uh, uh, from as said by the industry is is bottleneck that they they they're producing more and more and finding it harder and harder to for, for the pipelines to keep up with that. So the the, the surplus is going down by rail. Uh, the uh, from Canada's point of view, the uh, the, the, the export of oil is, is bitumen, and the United States is the uh, 99% market. Uh, but is, but is, is, is the U.S. the market, or is China, India, uh, uh, right now, other countries? Uh, they're, they're prospective markets. They don't exist. Uh, they, they do exist, obviously, for, 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 for U.S. cracked oil, for, for, for the fracked oil. Uh, but not for Canada yet. Okay. So, so with the with the holdups on the pipelines in in in, in court and the, the environmental protests and uh, uh, and so forth in, in in the states to do with with Keystone and uh, uh, Line Three and now I see Line Five through through Michigan. Uh, the uh, within Canada, where there's a major election coming up in in October, the federal election. Uh, the the, opposite, the 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 party out of power. The, the conservatives are making a big deal of developing markets outside the United States. Right. Uh, so so how does that how does that make sense given the increased urgency that many many people and more and more people are feeling about uh, about climate change and about the the incredible the historic the unprecedented concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Uh, I mean, is there any is there any point even having a conversation about expanding fossil fuel production, given that reality? <laughs> right. Um, I, I, I'm with you 100% in, in your question. The, uh, the, uh, the party in power in Canada, the Liberal Party, uh, uh, believes that you can have your cake and eat it. In other words, <laughs> the, 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 the production out of, out of Alberta can keep increasing. The market in the United States will keep taking. And uh, new pipelines can be built both to the east and the west. And that's your Liberal Party. That's the Liberal Party. So what's the Conservative Party say? Uh, uh, they're saying that the Liberals aren't doing enough. So they're basically in bed with the oil industry. But the Conservative Party is as well, correct? Or that's I'm, correct. Okay. They just want, they, they believe in having your cake and eating it too. They just want a bigger cake. Uh, all the way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, are, I, are there voices, yeah. are there voices within Canadian politics that are saying, well, maybe this isn't a good idea? Uh, the, the, well, the mainline press would, would tell you that uh, the, these pipelines have to be built. The, the one, an, a, an expansion of, of the pipeline down to Vancouver, British Columbia, which we could take uh, in, uh, in the protagonist view, uh, exports out to East Asia. Uh, a decision would be taken by that, by the federal government in two days' time, I think about two days' time, whether to go ahead or not with it. Uh, they, they, uh, almost surely they're going to say yes. Okay. Um, my, my view on the matter, do you want to hear that one? Sure. Is <laughs> that uh, there's, a, there's a great problem, uh, not only with, 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 uh, with, with, with light fracture oil from, 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 Dakota, from the Dakotas, right? Uh, namely that it's, it's, uh, it's, flamm it's easily flammable and not very stable. Uh, the problem with the uh, the bitumen from from Alberta, the, the, the oil sands, uh, which used to be called the tar sands, uh, is that 
uh, is guck. It's, it's, it's the worst oil you could have worldwide. Right, but... but, 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 and, but and, it's, and, it's, and it's the most polluting. But this is okay. a fact of life that uh, in, in, the, in the Canadian mood now is, is uh, politically is, is not being said. My view is that it's, it's of, of poor quality, that the, 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 the market in, in Europe doesn't exist. Uh, it may exist for fracked oil from the States, uh, it certainly exists for the oils which are under uh, under sanction from from the U.S. And in other words, uh, Iran and Venezuela. But it, it doesn't. Uh, it, the same goes for China. It's trying to, right. China's trying to get off coal, trying to get onto gas and the renewables right. and all that. But the last the last thing it wants is, okay. is, is this stuff from Canada. But aren't those aren't those distinctions between different types of oil and how polluting one is versus the other? Aren't those immaterial given the reality of climate change? I mean, whether it's the the more polluting or the less polluting type of oil, it's oil. It's creating carbon emissions. It's destroying our planet as we know it. So, absolutely, absolutely. Whichever one we're talking about, we just need to get beyond both. Correct. I'm, I'm with you 100. percent It's true. So now, you know, we generally think of. Um, Canadian politics is being more progressive than American politics. But right now, from what you're saying, I think we might have you beat on this because uh, most of the presidential candidates on the Democratic side running, running and we, we see a lot of them here in Iowa, most of them are talking about supporting the Green New Deal. About They're talking about getting beyond fossil fuels, some by 2030, some by 2045, 2050. Uh, and that, that conversation is encouraging uh, the sincerity of the candidates is still being measured, and the rapidity with which they want to accomplish these changes is, you know, being studied. But that sounds like it's, it sounds like we might be a little bit ahead of uh, Canadian politicians in this conversation. Am I wrong? Oh, I, I think I think that could well be true. Uh, uh, I'm but, sorry to hear that. <laughs> but, we, we look to you for guidance the, on these things, the, like, the reality, like with healthcare, for example. <laughs> the reality is nobody wants in Canada to upset Alberta. But didn't Alberta elect a a woman premier? Is that the right word? Absolutely, absolutely who, correct. Who was less inclined to be totally pro oil? Although then she got beat, I believe, right? That's right. All right. So yeah, yeah her <laughs> name was Rachel Notley. Rachel, there you go. Uh, the, no, the province to the to the west, uh, which uh, British Columbia, right, which adjoins the the, the Pacific. Sure. Uh, they 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 certainly are concerned about uh, global warming and. Oil, uh, oil spills down the pipeline and oil spills that could take place uh, uh, in, in the narrow sea routes out there. Um, uh, and it's, it, for, the, for the politicians there, it's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, for the politicians elsewhere, uh, uh, I hold my breath. Yeah, so, well, that's our thought, isn't it? We'll, that we, we'll have to look to, to you for, for an example. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> have you been paying much attention to our presidential race here? I, I think there's a realization it's starting to. It, it, start, it, it must be starting up. But uh, I, I, <laughs> it's been going. And, and seems people, like it's been going holding, people are holding their breath. <laughs> As they say, you know, when the when the elephant rolls over, when the the mouse gets squashed. And that would be the Canadian mouse. The Canadian mouse. Yeah. Well. Um, I, you but, know, but Iowa, Iowa you're, you're, right, you're right at the forefront of it. So we are the lead state. When it, I, I would love to visit and, and be a fly on the wall and hear it. Well, you can do more than be a fly on the wall. We'll take you to some of these uh, candidate events, and you can tell us what you think. Oh, I'd have I'd have fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah. Uh, 
Right now we have kind of a lull because all all the candidates were here for a big event in Cedar Rapids, the Iowa Hall of Fame dinner. Actually, it used to be a dinner. Now they just give a few on, you know, a few uh, pieces of finger food, and they downgraded it to celebration. But, but we got a little bit of a lull now because uh, Miami's happening, and we're preparing for a debate. And um, and so, uh, but yeah, if you come down here, you come down here uh, anytime in the next few months, you'll see uh, you'll see more presidential candidates than you want to. <laughs> I bet they're all pouring in. They are. Anyway, um, John, I really appreciate you. John, I, we, I'd love to be able to talk with you for longer. This is fascinating, and I think we, we'll probably have to have you back on the show sometime. But um, uh, if folks want to learn more about your work, your perspective, is there a particular site you would send them to? Uh, it, it, yes. Uh, it, it, to tell you a little about uh, where, where I'm coming from and what I'm doing, uh, um, yes, I think for me the, the, the highlight of the last year was writing a book uh, on, on, on petroleum and, and conflicts, the, all these conflicts in the Middle East and uh, so, elsewhere, so I, and, Venezuela, and, I, and, and I, looking at the oil connection. Yeah, and I'd love to have you back on to talk about that, but in, in just in terms of people learning more about your work, is there a website I should send them to? Uh, yes, do. It's just, it's just my name. John, uh, John Foster. Fos- John Foster writes, W-R-I-T-E-S dot com. Great. John, thanks and so it, much. It's for- all there. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, John. Thanks for inviting. All right. So, hey, switching gears here, folks, uh, the Iowa Water Festival coming up. And uh, water is important no matter where you live, but in Iowa it's really important because we have a we have a, an abundance of it. Actually, too much of it lately. But we also have uh, problems with impaired waterways, uh, a really serious issue. So many impaired waterways. And, of course, that's not only bad for us, it's bad for everybody downstream. Uh, Joining me today, Christine Curry and uh, Sarah Spain. And uh, they are the brains and brawn behind the Iowa Water Festival, which is coming up this this weekend. That's right. Sunday, June 23rd at 11 o'clock. It starts off, and the opening ceremony starts at 11.30. And what is the opening ceremony? We're going to be having uh, Danielle Wanati from the Meskwaki tribe. We'll be talking about our indigenous roots of our land. And then we will go on to have a whole panel discussion. We also have people, Mike Delaney will be speaking. Mike Delaney has been instrumental in uh, helping to protect the uh, Raccoon River watershed. Yeah, he's going to give us an overview of Iowa's current landscape. And then we will also have um, Liz Cunningham, which uh, Christine can... Yeah, so from from the perspective of we're going from the original roots of our land to the current landscape and then our connection from land to sea, how we're actually connected. We're not really landlocked like a lot of people uh, believe we are. So we are actually one of the main contributors to the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. I believe we are the only state that hasn't seen a reduction in our contribution to the dead zone. Uh, that is correct. Yeah, that's really sad and really embarrassing. Uh and for those who are listening on, on, on WHIV in New Orleans, we apologize. And just so you know, there are folks here working to change that, and Sarah and Christine are right on the forefront. That's correct. Uh, there have been several uh, recent articles depicting the information. Um, just last week in the Register, there's an article entitled, um, Research Shows State Ranks Number One in Number Two. And this depicts... <laughs> number One in Number Two, meaning... You know, right. we, we and we don't, we don't attribute that waste to human beings as much as we do to hogs, which we have what twenty four million hogs, I think. In in at any given yeah. time, plus Higher. all the other um, livestock. 
um, in confined <clears throat> operations. But also our other agriculture practices um, make up for that. Uh, the equivalent of that has been um, noted with uh, Chris Jones' blog, and a lot of people have been following his blog. He's a scientist and researcher that uses real data. Um, and the most current study indicates that we're equivalent to having 168 million people in the state of Iowa yeah. as far as the um, fecal contamination. That would make us the most populous state in the nation. Correct. So we're, so we're, we're the most populous in terms of uh, waste. Correct. Not an honor. Not right. an honor. And, and, and a problem not just for us but for the rest of the country as well. Right. Yeah. So the whole purpose of this is to raise awareness of – of water quality in hopes that we can actually provide some good solutions for the public to get involved because this is about everybody. This is a vital resource and there is no alternative. That's our tagline. And I think uh, more and more people, more and more businesses, more and more government officials are realizing we have a water quality crisis here. Have you had a decent kind of cooperation from, from those folks? Well, I think there's more, there's definitely more awareness now, and there's several people that understand that uh, we do have an uh, issue, and they're just not sure of how they can help. So the Iowa Water Festival addresses this, and we're going to get people out and having fun engaging through the arts. And Sarah, do you want to talk a little bit about the interaction of how art um, communicates? Well, we've, we've decided to bring art as a major aspect to this festival because art like water encompasses all of our lives and we've been using art to communicate our events um, for since the beginning of time. And um, this way, celebrating the voice of water through art opens the floodgates for potential valuable conversations that need to happen in order to turn this situation around. Um, you can go to iowawaterfestival.org to get more information, there is a place you can purchase tickets for our for food. Um, otherwise, it's a free event, and uh, the food tickets are fifteen dollars. And it's gonna we're gonna be serving f uh, vegetarian and meat, both um, sustainably um, sourced from local um, from local farms and uh, organizations. And then, um, yeah, we also have. Um, a great lineup of uh, music lined up after the program. We have, you know, an opening ceremony. We have a group of speakers. We have a panel discussion, and then we will have a water jam at the water very jam. End. What yes. is a water jam? It's a musical event that's uh, organized by Tina Haas Finley. Oh, Tina! Well, it's and good. <laughs> and she just rocks it. She's incorporated some other musicians. We're going to be hearing from Fancy Pants and uh, Heath Allen and a few others, and they're actually going to be singing an uh, all-star choir. And Tina Haas has written a special uh, song for this event. Good for her. Yeah. And also um, uh, around three p.m., we're going to have the water, body of water dancers perform. So there's just going to be a full day of events. We're going to have origami boat making, some uh, water testing, and um, uh, some indigenous uh, blessings and presents there. Hmm. Very good. So, I mean, it's always good. I, I mean, I think most rational people know that we have a serious problem with water quality. But also, even rational people like to have fun. <laughs> so I think it's really good. It's encouraging that you're incorporating some entertaining stuff in this that I think will bring out it'll, – it'll bring out families. And, uh, I mean, kids need to be a part of this too. That's right. And there's all kinds of really great festivals in Iowa, but there's nothing that celebrates water and um, the environment through a fun event. 
Very good. So if people want to learn more about it, uh, I, I assume, like everybody, you've got a website. IowaWaterFestival.org. And Iowa. you can purchase lunch tickets. Uh, the lunch will be served from 1130 to 230, and there's some great speakers during that time period. IowaWaterFestival.org. Yes. Okay. Thanks so much, Ed. Very good. Yeah. And this is about climate, too, by the way. We have uh, the— well, We have a lot more water in Iowa than yes. we used to. We just finished the, uh, the, the, the the last 12 months have been the, the, the wettest 12 months— in, on record since 1895 when records were started to be kept. So just one last plug. We're very excited about having the climate youth leaders represented, and Lydia Pesek will be heading up that Great. discussion. She's in been panel. involved with the, uh, the school, uh, school, um, sorry, school climate strike. There we go. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, uh, folks. Uh, we've been talking to Sarah Spain, Christine Curry about the Iowa Water Festival. If you're listening on our community-owned station, stick around. We'll be talking about the Iowa caucuses coming up and about how uh, Trump was welcomed to Iowa recently by diaper-clad protesters. We'll talk about that in a minute. And again, if you uh, always, uh, you can always hear this program rebroadcast as a it's on as a podcast. It's rebroadcast on several stations around Iowa. Thanks to our production team, Sherry Herdina. And Ashley Martinez, again, thanks to the station here, W uh, Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you as we look at our Iowa caucus update. I know that the Iowa caucuses are a very specific event to a very specific place between two big rivers, Missouri River and Mississippi River, but the impacts of what happens here are national and beyond. So I think it's important that we share with you what's going on. And reciprocally, if you know stuff about these candidates that we should know but don't, let us know. We really, we really benefit from input from states where that, that that are home to some of these presidential candidates. And I think, gosh, I think um, I think half the states in America have a presidential candidate you know, running right now, but maybe not quite that much. Anyway, this year has been a almost exclusively Democratic year. Interestingly, of course, four years ago we had we had three Democrats running, but it was by and large a Republican year. And before that, it was completely a Republican year when when Barack Obama was running unopposed. So um, it was kind of a, a nice change of pace when Donald Trump decided to pay us a visit here in Iowa. He came to um, Council Bluffs to tour a renewable energy facility. And uh, that was to coincide with his decision to lift the ban on the sale of E15. That's, yeah, that's a fuel that's 15% ethanol. He decided to lift the ban on that. It was a political move because he know he's he knows he's been losing some traction with farmers who are upset at the tariffs, upset at low prices, low prices, and having to deal with the impacts of uh, flooding and other climate uh, climate uh, changes. And so this was a way to try to win back some of that support that may be eroding a little bit in farm country. And he. Um, of course, what bothered me was, uh, you know, here he is announcing that he's going to allow the sale of E15 and uh, without any conversation about why we had a ban on that in the summertime. Again, you can sell it the rest of the year, but there's a reason why it's not sold during the summertime, and that's because uh, the, the, 
the warmer temperatures interact with the product and create, if memory serves, they're called volatile organic compounds, VOCs, and those create smog. And so we have the president making a decision that's bad for the environment. Surprise, surprise. What bothers me, I don't. I mean, I expect that from President Trump. What I would have expected from the the media is some coverage as to why we had that rule in place and what the impact on our air quality, on our climate, is going to be because of the lifting of that ban. Didn't see that at all. Anyway, Trump came to Council Bluffs, made his pitch, did his speech, and then uh, flew to Des Moines. I always think it's funny to think about flying from Council Bluffs to Des Moines because it only takes a it's less than a two-hour drive. But anyway, I, I guess when you're the president and you're in a hurry, you want it to be a half hour, not two hours. So he flew. And then he drove from the airport, which is 20 minutes. I, I really don't know how much time you say by flying from Council Bluffs or Omaha to Des Moines. So anyway, he's here. And um, he's here for a fundraiser for the Iowa GOP, which has been, the way a lot of us see it, a big part of the climate denial problem. We've had, you know, federal official, federal elected officials from Iowa who have done nothing and even poo-pooed climate. I remember talking to Joni Ernst about climate change a couple years ago. Or let me rephrase that, trying to talk with Joni Ernst about climate change. And uh, very dismissive. And yeah, sure, the climate's changing all the time. Oh, I get so tired of hearing that. Sure, it's changing all the time over the course of 100,000 years. Well, maybe not, and, and maybe, yeah, sure, sure. Maybe, maybe smaller periods too. But when you have radical changes in 100 years and science can clearly pinpoint the culprit as humanity's use of fossil fuels, there's no longer a debate. There's no longer any credence to saying, well, the climate's always changing. So I, I get really tired of that, Senator Ernst. And again, not much better from Senator Grassley. But the bottom line is we have uh, a GOP in Iowa that is culpable in promoting climate denial. And the president's coming in, again himself, the climate denier in chief, raising funds for the GOP to continue its climate denial agenda. Whether it's in Washington through our you know, congressional delegation or whether it's at the state house, where again, less than nothing has happened. In fact, they continue to take things in the wrong direction despite the clarity of science on this crisis. So a bunch of folks at Bold Iowa thought, well, you know, this would be an important moment to make a statement. And uh, much time and effort went into figuring out the best way to make that statement. And in the end, because, you know, you don't really get a lot of attention if you don't do something that is attention-getting. It's got to be creative, clever, out of the box for anybody in the mainstream media to even care, which is sad. I mean, the, the, fact that, the fact that climate change is happening, should be a, that, that should be a front page story every day. There's, there's no shortage of angles on that. You know, great example, the British paper, The Guardian. You know, you can see climate coverage every day prominently displayed in The Guardian. I don't, I don't get why you need to do something creative and clever to get the media to care. But we know that. So we went off with creative and clever. And what Bold Iowa did was organize, uh, there were, I'd say, 25 to 30 people there. And 
five, including yours truly, uh, held a banner. The banner read, climate denier in the White House, scare the S out of you. It does us. And uh, to go along with that banner, to make the message more clear and, again, more creative, five of us were dressed all in black, black hats, black shades, a black shirt reading boldiowa.com, black pants, and an adult diaper. So, yeah, it does scare the you-know-what out of us. And it should. I mean, at a time when science says that we have just over 10 years to figure this out, to have somebody leading the most, well, we all, we've, we've called ourselves the most powerful nation in the world for a long time. I'm not sure we can say that anymore. But to lead, to, to lead the nation that has been the most powerful, that has certainly been the biggest contributor to, the, contributor to climate change, to have that nation led by somebody who is openly denying science, that's a problem. And people need to know that we have a climate denier in the White House. And again, I, I, most people who care probably know that already, but it doesn't hurt to be reminded. So we were there to remind people that we have a climate denier in the White House. And that, yeah, that should scare the bejeebies out of you or whatever you want to have scared out of you. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I, 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 we've, we've, had a, we've, had a, we've had a mostly good response to this. Some people thought it was going too far. Some people, some people thought it didn't go far enough. Some people were confused. But, again, if when you read the banner and saw the visual, that kind of helped dispel any confusion. Now, um, the five of us were arrested. Um, not for blocking. Well, they told us they were going to arrest us for blocking the entrance to the parking lot. But they found a clever way. They, they basically rerouted people around us to a different entrance. And so we decided, well, it's really, really important for the, for the uh, attendees, the people who are paying 250 bucks and more to come to this event, it's really important for them to hear this message. They need to know that having a climate denier in the White House is scary and that they should be concerned about that. And again, maybe, maybe, maybe some of them have thought about that, but who knows? I, but it was really important to, to let, let them know that, that we had this message that needed to be heard. So we decided to walk into the venue and uh, got maybe a little more than halfway there from the street when the when law enforcement said, "Sorry, you can't go any further," and I said, I, "They tried to. We tried to negotiate with them. Just let us let us pop in and make our make our statement, and we'll go." Uh, they wouldn't go for that. They wouldn't go for that. So we were arrested. And uh, again, I, I think it was an, a statement that was important to make because we have a, we have a climate emergency on our hands. Uh, my feeling is that actions such as this. You know, putting pressure on, on the politicians, on the business community, on academia, on the media, putting pressure on them to wake up and understand the, the, the degree that which this this uh, this crisis is. You know, it, it, it's a, you know, it's not like we're dealing with a new problem. This is an ad advanced problem at this point. This is an advanced crisis that, according to science, if we continue down the same path, threatens our very existence. We have an emergency, and people who are calling it out are justified in actions, nonviolent, you know, public statements as to why this needs to change. 
Anyway, folks, you can learn more about what Bold Iowa is doing on this uh, situation, both the caucuses generally and the specific Trump protests. You can learn more about that on the Bold Iowa website. That's boldiowa.com. Again, this is Ed Fallon thanking you for joining us on this week's Fallon Forum. Back live next Monday at 11 o'clock Central Time.